I want to immediately go to our text, James 4, 14. What is your life? The reason this question is important is because we're trying to build our dream and live the life we've always wanted. How do you know if you're getting close to that if you don't know what your life is right now? How do you know what corrections and adjustments must be made? I love this too because the next verses that we're using, these are verses we're embracing this year. This is from Jeremiah, and it regards Israel and the time of their worst season of existence ever. Their captivity in Babylon, and God says, I will set mine eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. And like I've been teaching you, the most powerful form of prayer is to pray the promises of Scripture in the first person because God's no respecter of persons and therefore they can apply to you. So let's do that. And that's the way I'll read it. And God says, you will plant me and not pluck me up. You will give me a heart to know you that you are the Lord and, and we will be your people and you will be our God and we will return to you with our whole heart. A tremendous promise made to Israel in their darkest hour. And then in Philippians 3, 14 and 15, I press toward the goal for the prize, say this with me, of the upward call. Say it, upward call. One more time, all together. Upward. It's really important. What call is that? The horizontal call. The plateaued call. The declining, descending call. No, it's always upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. The Apostle Paul points out that our thoughts can sometimes be contrary to the teachings of Scripture. And he says, if you think other than what I've just stated, that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. And he said, God's going to reveal to you the truth. This truth that Christ is all about enabling our lives to be lived on an ever upward and ascending path is extremely important. You may not realize this, and what I'm going to say might even be offensive to some of you, but there is no such phrase in the Bible as the gospel of salvation. It is the gospel of the kingdom, which includes salvation. But the reason that it is important that I... I challenge us to be aware that the gospel of the of salvation is not a phrase used in scripture is simple and and if you think about it you will understand why it's significant a gospel of salvation is only limited to salvation a gospel of the kingdom is salvation and some other things and god is not just interested in you getting saved and hanging on till you either you die or he comes back to take you out of here. It's an upward call, ascending, not declining, not descending, not flattened out, not plateaued. A life with Christ is supposed to get better in every way. And he teaches us this from his very first miracle when in Cana of Galilee at a wedding, he turned water to wine and astonished everybody there by making them know that with Jesus, the best wine is always served last. It gets better. And we have words that we have put to song that demonstrate this. The old gospel song, it gets sweeter as the days go by. Has been something that every believer along the way has come to know is absolutely the truth. And so this upward progression that life is supposed to take is not limited to just the spiritual dimension. The gospel of the kingdom is about every aspect of your life. And as I've said, all seven areas, I won't name them again. One other aspect of the upward call is that it is upward, therefore signifying the need for effort on our part to get there. Amen. Joe Girard said this, the elevator to success is out of order. You have to take the stairs one step at a time. To build your life, your marriage, your ministry, it's a climb. And if you know anything about being in mountainous terrain, 
Climbing uphill is a whole lot harder than it is going downhill. And I have seen, by God's grace, most of the major mountain ranges of the world, whether it's the Rockies or the Alps or the Andes in South America or even the Himalayas with Mount Everest, I can tell you, you get in that kind of terrain, it's going to take some exertion for you to climb. And what this simply means is the upward call is going to require some effort. There's a price to pay. God calls you upward, but the elevator's broken. And you're going to have to, to slug it out one step at a time. My task this 4th of July weekend is an important one. Sometimes God places a pastor in the unenviable position of being a voice. A voice to a people, be that a community, like a church, or a city or a nation. Think of Jeremiah, for example. Isaiah, Jonah, or Hosea, or the many others mentioned in the Bible. They were all called to be a voice. But being a voice for God is not a popular thing to be. After all, Jesus said, we stone prophets to death, don't we? You're a prophet, that's what you got to look forward to. We stone prophets. But it's what I, I feel I must do today. I've got to heed the voice of God. And so I want us to pray. Father, I pray that you will help us and speak a word to us. And Lord, in dark times, give us certain direction. Uncertain times, give us absolutely clear paths to take. Insecure times bring us security and help us to learn that you are one we can rely on that is like no other and be who you've called us to be for you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Sometimes a pastor's got to be a voice and he doesn't, get a chance, he doesn't have the opportunity to vote if he's going to remain faithful to his call. Under those circumstances, the great apostle Paul, who was also called to be a voice, said these words, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you know, and I, I need to preface my remarks because we may have visitors here or those that are new to the church, even though this is a 4th of July weekend and many people take this as an opportunity to have a holiday and travel. If you know anything about me, you know I want my ministry to be defined by what I'm for, not what I'm against. Amen. I'm for God. I'm for righteousness. I'm for loving humanity. I'm for the Bible. I'm for prayer. I'm for fasting. I'm for fellowship. I'm for treating people right. Amen. I'm for people living their lives by the principles of the Word of God and as a result seeing their families their finances, their influence, and every other part of their life blessed and elevated. It's very hard to build something positive on a negative foundation. Amen. And the focus of my ministry through the years is not to bend a rail or cry about, you don't need to do this, and you better stop that. Some people, that's the only approach they know. I've always believed it rather like this, that when you fall in love with God the way you're supposed to, you don't want to do any of that other stuff. Amen. You don't have time for it. It's kind of like a husband and a wife on their honeymoon the next morning after their wedding. They're on some island somewhere in paradise and looking deeply into one another's eyes and just all lost in each other. A man could walk by and try to flirt with her. She won't even see. Woman woman try to walk by and flirt with him. He doesn't even notice. Or if they do... They have nothing but contempt for the person that has tried because they're so in love with the one they're with. I've always felt that what we needed to do was help people fall in love with God. And if we can get people wrapped up in God, they don't have time for all this other stuff. Once you find out how wonderful he is. Amen. Why you want to drive around no Ford Pinto if he's got a Rolls Royce for you to sit in? That's the analogy. Once you discover who he's like, this other stuff is cheap and to use 
the scripture's word beggarly. Amen. Amen. Nonetheless, there are reasons that ministers are called upon by God to speak out on issues. Never been an issues-oriented kind of a person. Sometimes because of a prophetic voice, people hear that voice and make decisions to honor God that saved their nations. Think of Nineveh and how they repented at the cry of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go there because he knew they kill prophets. That's what they still do. And so he ran the other direction. Most pastors would shy away from that. And there are times whether you like it or not, you've just got to do what God's called you to do. Amen. At other times, maybe it's not a nation that's saved. Maybe it's just you and your family. Like it was in the case of Noah, who became a voice for God in his generation. But trust me, his kids were glad that he listened to God. Because they survived when no one else did. At other times, the voice of one crying in the wilderness is met with open hostility and rejection. And the prophetic voice is forced to lay down his life if he's not silent. The very community is sent to rejects him as they did with John the Baptist, whom they killed. Or Jesus. It was religion in both cases. In, bo in both, both circumstances, the voice of someone crying out that calls the death of both John and Christ. Ultimately, however, what we need to understand is that God always balances his own books. Amen. And brings to justice those who reject his word. And the very voice that was a witness to that community becomes a witness against that community before God in the courts of heaven. It's not what he wanted, but that's the way it happens so that God can say, no one has an excuse. And at the end, trust me when I tell you that man in his rebellion always comes to learn the hard way that his arms are too short to box with God. Amen. Your arms are not long enough. No pastor likes to be put in the position of having to be that voice. And there are reasons. We're not prophets that come in overnight and are gone by the sunrise the next morning. I've been here going on now 28 years. I'm in my 28th year. And we intermingle our lives and our hearts and our emotions and our relationships are intertwined. And we found that we can help people if we are connected long term. That's what a pastor does. Prophets run in, make a declaration, going on the next bus. Amen. You don't see them again. And for that reason, pastors are sometimes slow to do things that might alienate them from the very people that they're trying to help because it works like this. The amount of good you can do for someone is either multiplied or divided by the amount of regard they have for you. If they don't regard you, they won't listen to you. If they have respect for you, everything you say has significance and is weighty with import. Amen. I made a decision 47 years ago when I first began ministry after reading this warning to ministers in Isaiah 56 and 10. Look at it. God said, Israel's watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, and loving to slumber. And I made a decision then that God, if you're calling me into ministry, I don't want to be a dumb dog that doesn't bark. When the right time comes, if you call me into ministry you call, and you call me to a task, I want to I I sound out. I want to let my voice be heard for what it's worth. A minister really doesn't get any choice, you see, because sometimes people think he has a, a choice. He doesn't. Look at Ezekiel 33, 3 through 6. When he, that is a watchman, sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, 
but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. That's what God said. And so you're probably pretty much aware that I'm going to talk about some heavy things today for me to begin a message like this. And I want to begin by making one thing emphatically and abundantly clear. Regardless of what the Supreme Court has done or not done, or will do in the future with this matter, or any other matter that concerns our faith, we should always treat everyone with love. I need an amen from this congregation. And that especially includes those we disagree with. Easy to love people that agree with you on every issue. Not as much if they don't agree with you. Amen. Jesus modeled the response of the church in today's world. When he addressed the woman taken in the act of adultery, he loved her and forgave her and instructed her to go and sin no more. Why in that order? He loved her, accepted her, forgave her, and then said go and sin no more. That was the order. Why? Only acceptance and love can free a person to change, not hate. And notice that it was a woman taken, yet the scripture says that she was taken in the very act of adultery. I understand that to mean that the man was also there too. Question is, where did he go? Why didn't they take him also? And apparently they let him off scot-free. Why take the woman and not the man? To me, this demonstrates what happens when religion alone is left to address issues. Religion can be harsh and unfair and biased. It was religion that crucified Christ. We have a law. And by our law, this man ought to die because he made himself to be the son of God. That's what they said. Amen. And the reason that religion alone should not be left to address matters is because even though we may love God, we are still very flawed as human beings. I see some of you don't feel that way about yourself, but I hate to be the one to break the bad news to you. Amen. On the other hand, so is the judicial system flawed. Because it is made up of men and women who no matter how much they learn or what degrees they have or what universities they attended, they're equally flawed as we are. Can I hear somebody in the building agree? Amen. And that is why, amen, reason and faith balance each other. They're both required. A reasonable faith. That's why in the book of Isaiah, God said, come and let us reason together faith can be reasoned amen and this is why that you can create laws all day long until there are no libraries large enough to hold them but there will still be graft and corruption and envy and racism and crime and hatred because laws cannot change the heart of men yet that is a sovereign work of the almighty God in his spirit amen and man and God working together can change people's lives. Christians err, however, and that we treat one type of sin, and this goes back to what I said about the woman taken and the man wasn't. We treat one type of sin as deplorable while other types of sin are okay, sometimes winked at. I mean, after all, he was a man, right? You know, that's why they didn't take him. And still, in some countries, for example, Islamic countries, a woman taken in the act of adultery can be stoned, but it requires four witnesses for the man to be brought before counsel. That's right. So even though he was there and they took the woman and the man was there at the same time, they've got to let him go unless there are four witnesses. Religion can be flawed, as I've already pointed out, and Christians err like they did apparently with this woman taken in the act and treating her one way and the man another. And I'll give you an example of how we treat some wrongs one way and some another. When people live together and they're not married, we know this is not acceptable in the sight of God. 
But somehow we don't judge them as harshly as we do if it's two people of the same gender living together. Truth is, both of these are equally damaging sins of the flesh. Amen. James 2.10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Amen. There's no difference by treating one as a greater sin than another that we then are guilty of treating the people who do these things differently. And that is what is wrong on our part. We're not representing God's love and grace equally to every person out there. And that means we're guilty of using what the Bible said was an abomination in his sight, false weights and measures. So what should our response be to those who do either of these things or any other things if they're living in a, together and aren't married or if they're in a same-sex relationship? Here's the bottom line. We don't have to agree with what anybody has done. But we are supposed to treat everybody the same and love everybody until they come out of their circumstance. Amen. By God's grace. The failure of Christians to treat everyone the same has actually injured the effectiveness of Christians in helping people overcome sin. All of that having been said and done, I want to now leave that and move on to another issue that I feel is important especially to Americans. I can't preach this message in Africa because they don't have the same government there. I want to talk to Christians about our call and mandate to be agents of change. Salt, light, and yeast. We're supposed to be changing our communities for God. Amen. And the way I want to do this is not talk about what people are doing. I want to talk about what recent actions and decisions have done to the potential of the government of this nation and our own future. Let me address that. A few basic civics class lessons that many of us might have forgotten or even never paid much attention to when we were in school might be in order, so please allow me to digress. The Constitution is the guiding document of our nation. It is our nation's birth certificate and declares who we are. According to our Constitution and the articles therein, the way our democracy is supposed to work is that we have three separate branches of government. It was established this way by our founding fathers to prevent totalitarianism or a dictatorship from ever occurring in our nation. Those who came to settle in this land came out of those kinds of governments and were oppressed and did not have liberty or religious freedom and were frequently persecuted for their faith. And straight ahead lies yesterday. Amen. The, three, we, the Constitution mentions three separate branches of government. They are the legislative branch, the judicial branch, and the executive branch. The legislative branch is made up of the two houses of Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives. The most important duty of the legislative branch is to make laws. These laws are to protect and benefit the citizens of this nation. Laws are written, discussed, and voted on in Congress by the people you and I select to send there to represent us. They're not there because they know more than us. They're there because we are too busy to go. And we need somebody to go there and do this on our behalf while we take care of our families. And so you see Congress in joint session there. The judicial branch, on the other hand, oversees the court system of the United States. And through court cases, the judicial branch explains the meaning of the Constitution and laws passed by Congress and, ensure, and ensures they adhere to our Constitution. The Supreme Court is the head of the judicial branch. It is comprised of nine members, men and women, who are appointed for are appointed to that post by life, which I personally think is a mistake. Amen. I'm just telling you, I told you we don't have a perfect form of government. 
And then there is the executive branch. It is headed by our president. He is elected to represent us and is responsible for implementing and enforcing the laws written by Congress. And to that end, he appoints the heads of federal agencies to ensure they conduct our nation's business according to these laws in compliance with our Constitution. We don't have a perfect form of government. There's no such thing. And primarily, that is true because there are no perfect human beings on the face of this planet. That's why there are no perfect churches. If you came here looking for a perfect church, I'm going to tell you right up front, we're not. Because there's nobody here that's perfect. If we were, I'd also have to tell you we wouldn't let you join. Because you're not perfect and you would ruin our perfection. I, I hate to be that candid and inform you about this in yourself, but please forgive me. Amen. What has been brilliant about our form of government is that it is that it first prevented leaders, the first thing beneficial it did is it prevented leaders from becoming dictators in the U.S., as has happened in many other countries, such as Stalin in Russia, Hitler in Germany, Mao Tung in China. In the last century alone, approaching 150 million people were killed by dictators of their own. I'm talking about they killed their own people. 78 million died under Stalin. 17 million under Hitler. 78 million under Mao Zedong. That's 118 million under just three dictators and doesn't count the millions more killed under leaders like Tojo of Japan, King Leopold of Belgium, Pol Pot of Cambodia, Bashir of the Sudan, and many, many others. Dictators have ruled in Asia, Europe, Africa, Latin, and South America, and in fact, just about every continent except ours. Our constitution was a wall of defense around us that kept us safe from evil dictators. And know up front that the devil doesn't appear as a devil. He comes as an angel of light. I, I wish I could get that point across. If he came across as he really was, nobody would welcome him. But once he gets in, that's when his true nature begins to be revealed. Amen. The Constitution also allowed us, and this was another part of its brilliance, to correct our problems along the way without destroying our, our country in the process. And this, what is it, America's 200 and, is it 39th birthday? 39th birthday. I want to talk to you about that. We haven't had a perfect past. It has been dotted, dotted with mistakes. Amen. Our history is replete with error. However, our Constitution allowed us to correct these problems along the way without destroying the country in the process. Evils such as slavery, civil rights violations, and other major concerns were addressed by employing this most significant of documents to them, implying, uh, rather, uh, uh, examining what was happening and looking at what these do the documents said that we call the Constitution. For example, Martin Luther King Jr. constructed the most famous speech of the last century, I Have a Dream, around the promise of equality to which the Declaration of Independence dedicated this nation. And that speech changed a nation. Amen. On June 26th, a few days ago, the Supreme Court decided to ignore the Constitution, put aside the laws of over half the states in the United States of America, and change the definition of what has been for thousands of years considered to be a marriage and the definition of what is thought of as a family. And you may think that by watching the news media that everything is okay because the media has really pushed this. Amen. But it's not okay with everybody. Amen. It isn't. Christian leaders were almost unanimous in their instantaneous response. From every denomination and faith to say that this decision is hostile to the church and discriminates against Christians for their beliefs. And that is contrary to our First Amendment right. The First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof 
or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Among those who immediately spoke out to remind us that man can say and do anything, but he doesn't change the laws of the mighty God of this universe. Amen. Were Reverend Franklin Graham, son of Billy Graham, Reverend Samuel Rodriguez, president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, Reverend John Piper, the Catholic Church, the various Baptist church organizations of which there are many, the various Pentecostal church and charismatic church groups and their leaders, again, more numerous than I can mention, the Wesleyan Methodist Church Organization and its bishops, the Mormon Church, the Evangelical Free Church Organization, the Adventist Church Organization, the United Methodist Church Organization, the Lutheran Church denomination and its leaders, various black church leaders, the Anglican church leadership, and various leaders who head up independent church groups were instantaneous with their immediate response that this is a violation of both our form of government and our First Amendment rights. With this ruling, as a result, many churches are now openly discussing, including the Catholic Church, that they might consider no longer performing marriages at all. That's where we're at right now. That rather than violate their faith, they would rather not perform a marriage, period. Amen. The major problem with what has happened is that the Supreme Court is not supposed to make or create law. They are instead tasked by the Constitution with the responsibility of upholding laws Congress makes and to make certain they are in compliance with our Constitution. There are underlying ramifications and consequences of all that has just happened. And these things will have a far-reaching effect on Christians and I believe on our very form of government itself. But let me say up front, the world is the world and the church is the church. Amen. And Jesus said, I will build my, rock, my, my church upon this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is said with no animus or hatred. I've told you, we don't even have the right to speak if we can't love people who are different than us. Amen. What I do want to say is that this will affect the Christian faith and our freedoms in America. And it will affect our government. How, you ask? As Americans, we need to examine what has happened in the light Christians do of preserving our nation by being what our mandate has called us to be, salt, light, and yeast. We are not changing this nation. Amen. And as Christians, we must also decide to stand up for God and live for Him in a world that is increasingly hostile and opposed to the Christian faith. We can't keep checking which way the wind is blowing and be fair weather Christians. We gotta be Christians in good times and bad times and when it goes our way and when it doesn't go our way, amen. Changes in the civil law do not, indeed cannot, change the moral law that God has established. And God expects us as believers to uphold and keep his commandments regardless of opposing opinions or trends in society. God wasn't waiting to see what the Supreme Court said before he decided where he stood on this issue. He already had decided. So let's think about how this is going to impact first our form of government and its effect upon the future. The Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court who was in the opposition, who was in the minority and dissented to this decision, Justice John Roberts stated, if you are among the many Americans of whatever sexual orientation who favor expanding same-sex marriage, by all means celebrate today's decision. Celebrate the achievement of a desired goal. Celebrate the opportunity for a new expression of commitment to a partner. Celebrate the availability of new benefits but do not celebrate the Constitution. It had nothing to do with it. That's the head of our Supreme Court. 
One of the dissenting Supreme Court justices, Justice Anthony Scalia, declared in his dissenting opinion that with this action, quote, we have just destroyed democracy and added that contrary to the Constitution, we are now being controlled by plutocrats. A plutocrat is someone who exercises power by virtue of his wealth. In this case, five people made a decision that they know better than the Constitution, better than the Bible, better than the history, better than the votes of this nation, what is good for the American people. Here's the problem with all of this. Once we let that get by, who knows what they're going to do the next time around. Amen. Anthony Scalia, Justice Anthony Scalia, went on to say the substance of today's decree is not of immense personal importance to me, he offers, it, but it is of overwhelming importance, however, who it is that rules me. Today's decree says that my ruler and the ruler of 320 million Americans coast to coast is a majority of the nine lawyers on the Supreme Court. Until the courts put a stop to it, public debate over same-sex marriage displayed American democracy at its best. What he has just said is that now democracy is on its way out. And that's strong language and a serious warning. And is it overkill? Is it just rhetoric? Or is it an accurate assessment of what has happened? Well... Remember the three branches of government and how each has been tasked with the function by the, our Constitution that helps preserve liberty and democracy? Remember the role of the Supreme Court? They don't make laws. That's the responsibility of Congress. The Supreme Court exists to see that laws are enforced in the judiciary and also that these laws comply with the Constitution. So now... We've got five people, or as someone said, one person, that was the swing vote here. We've got one person, or five, look at it however you want, as deciding what is best for the rest of us. Wait a minute. I thought this is we, the people. You know, I thought that's what we came out of when we left those other countries. And Amen. One thing should be clear to Christians now, your vote had better be used wisely. That's true whether it's at the local, the state, or the national level. We need to be wise and faithful stewards of this treasure because not every Christian around the world has the opportunity to vote as to what happens in their country. Amen. I am in and out of nations often, 48 times to Africa last year, twice into India. That's a lot of traveling, 102 nations that I've been to in my lifetime. There's no other nation like this nation. And I've been there when they've been going to the polls and when they're casting votes. And, and sometimes those who go to the polls to vote for the opposition's candidate are beaten or they're not allowed to vote for any number of fabricated excuses. If they are allowed to vote, the ballot boxes, listen to this, I'm not making it up, are oftentimes already stuffed with votes for the incumbent before they ever arrive at the polling station. I didn't make that up. I can show you news clippings. I was there when it came out that boxes were coming from the voting headquarters already full of votes for the one the administration wanted in. In one of the countries that I'm in and out of all the time, the president took $750 million from their budget to buy used Russian fighter jets in a landlocked African nation. Transparency International, an organization that tracks graft and corruption among political leaders, did some investigating and discovered the jets didn't cost $750 million, though that's what the president took. They only cost $350 million. What did he do with the other 400 million? They researched further and found that he took 200 million and put it into his personal bank accounts overseas and took another 200 million to buy his election by paying off all the local leaders. I know some of them personally on a first name basis who told me they were met at two o'clock in the morning with attaches full of cash and their responsibility was to get their community to say yes to the present leader. Is this where we want to go in our nation or oh, you're saying it'll never happen oh really 
Really? Ah, oh, thank you very much. Your, 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 your assurances are very heartwarming. Our problem is we as believers have not stewarded our resource of the vote properly. And listen, we rightly worry about police shooting somebody when they're arrested. Countries I'm in, every single week, I have AK-47s pointed at me. You try running from one of them, they shoot you dead. I'm not making that up, and they don't care what country you're from. They don't care what your skin color is or whether your government likes it or not. We don't know where all of this may end up leading us. But right now, oh, everything's looking peachy and rosy. Really? Really? Well, suppose the next time you get somebody in there that smiles his way into the Supreme Court or Congress or whatever and decides that he wants to take the nation a different direction. But he doesn't tell you that up front. And a holy hush descended on the house of God. Uh, I know what I'm talking about here. What kind of effect will this ruling have on churches? The church and the world have always been at enmity with one another. And we need to accept that as a reality. Yes, we do. Amen. You're expecting everybody out there to like you. Guess what? They crucified your Lord. Amen. Common sense tells you this is an attack against Christians and their faith. Even those who did the majority decision have declared same-sex marriages are not an attack against Christian faith. And beliefs, listen to Justice Anthony Kennedy writing for the majority, quote, many who deem same-sex marriage to be wrong reach that conclusion based on decent and honorable religious or philosophical premises, and neither they nor their beliefs are disparaged here. Oh, they're not? Really? Kennedy wrote, it must be emphasized that religions and those who adhere to religious doctrines may continue to advocate with utmost sincere conviction that by divine precepts, same-sex marriages should not be condoned. He says we can go ahead and continue to preach and teach that really until somebody brings a case and then what's going to happen? Right now, states are scrambling to pass legislation to protect their pastors. Texas just had a meeting on this the other day. Why? Because we don't get to vote. I told you earlier, I'm called to please God. Rather, I have to lay down my life in the process. I've got to still please God. Amen. All of those of you that want to be in ministry, just back up and think about it before you make that jump. Because once you do, you're not your own man anymore. You're not your own woman You've got to do some things, whether you wish to or not. Kennedy went on further to write, it must be emphasized that religions and those who adhere to religious doctrines may continue to advocate, he said, with utmost sincere conviction that by divine precepts, same-sex marriages should not be condoned. But according to the experts, that one paragraph is going to be the focus of intense scrutiny in the decades to come in the United States Supreme Court. How can he say that we can, we can continue to preach this when they have now just declared that this is a civil right, a liberty of people. And this is what Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas said, who dissented, by the way. That's him right there. He declared that the majority ruling, quote, probably destroyed religious liberty in the United States of America. Right. Now, having said all of that, we got to love everybody anyway. You're getting real quiet now. I said, we got to love everybody anyway. Amen. It will affect Christians in other ways. During the oral arguments before the Supreme Court, the Solicitor General, Donald Verrilli, was asked by Justice Supreme Court Justice Alito if this ruling would affect the tax-exempt status of any religious schools that oppose same-sex marriage. And I quote his answer, it certainly is going to be an issue. Schools, religious schools, universities, churches were all facing a very, very shaky future in terms of our tax-exempt status. And one other effect on how this will affect or impact the way we minister to those who are gay. Something I've not heard anyone in this entire process even bring up. And that is the woundedness of many 
of those who are in that lifestyle. The church has been, always been meant by Christ to be a place for healing both physical and spiritual and emotional. Amen. Luke 9 and 2, he sent them to preach. There you see that? Gospel of the kingdom. Amen. Sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. What? Healing and preaching are inexplicably or inextricably related and intertwined. You cannot separate one from the other. That's why the great churches, or rather the great hospitals of the world, were all founded by Christians initially. St. Luke's Episcopal, Methodist, right on down the line, the Presbyterian Hospital, St. Joseph's Baptist, to name some that are here in our city. Amen. In other places, it was Christians who pioneered this effort in the healing of humanity. And that is our mandate. I've counseled a lot of people through the years, thousands. I can tell you that what my experience as a pastoral counselor has shown me. Without exception, every person I have personally ever counseled in that lifestyle that came to me for help had been hurt by someone they looked up to and had been taken advantage of by that person in a way that was not good. And it injured and wounded them and tilted them in the wrong direction. I'm not saying that every person out there has had this experience, but I'm just, I am telling you that everyone I've talked to, I've been in the office and cried with people who have wept until their eyes were swollen and red. I've been called to this building at 2.30 in the morning to meet people who were struggling, who cried out and didn't want to live anymore. I, I've, I've, I've watched them weep and cry and soak carpet with their tears, and then they lay this story out of betrayal and hurt and pain. And what this decision now to me is saying is that you are telling that person, get over it. It's okay. What happened to you is normal. Just learn to live with it. Because you can't help anybody unless there's a problem. So what does this mean? It means that in the future, pastors are also going to have to redefine what counseling means or face penalties. And I just want to tell you right now that as far as Christian Tabernacle is concerned, we're going to be the same church we've always been and love everybody. That's who we're going to be and help everybody we can. I don't care if you're living with somebody and you're not married or what the, ad the deal is. How are we going to treat two people that come in here of the same gender? Love them just like Jesus did the woman that was taken in the act of adultery and help everybody we possibly can. That's what we've got to do. Amen. When did all of this happen? How did it happen? And how do we prevent the loss of religious freedoms in our country from getting more severe? President Dwight David Eisenhower, 34th President of the United States of America, said this, Freedom has its life in the hearts, the actions, the spirit of men. And so it must be daily earned and refreshed. Else, like a flower cut from its life-giving roots, it will wither and die. At Christian Tabernacle, we're going to continue to stand for the freedom of God's Word and preach the Bible and love everybody that we come in contact with and help people along the way. Amen. What has happened is a domino effect has occurred in this country. And by many estimates, 2 to 4% of this nation are all that live in a particular lifestyle that some people call the gay lifestyle, 2 to 4%. Some of those may be our loved ones and relatives, or there may be someone here today that's, that's dealing with issues like this, and we love you. We love your families if they're the ones dealing with this. I know there are families here because I've counseled them. Amen. And people that are struggling with issues. But let me just tell you that God's Word promises freedom. You don't have to live with pain on the inside. He promises healing. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. How did it happen that it went this far? I can tell you, we were silent dogs that could not bark. We wouldn't open our mouth. We wouldn't say anything. We didn't want anybody to think we were not intelligent or smart. 
Come on, be real. MTV said years ago they were not about music. They were about the minds of a generation. That's why you turn on MTV. They don't even play music anymore. They got the minds of a generation. They don't need to play it. They use music as the language, the medium to which to reach our kids. And we let it into our, our living rooms, cable it in, brought it in by satellite. And the next thing you know, all of this stuff is going on in our world, our nation. And we wonder, how did this slip in? I'll tell you how everything occurred. A small minority can make a huge change. Jesus said a little bit of yeast can cause the whole lump of dough to become affected by the yeast. And that's good or bad. Bad if it's a bad thing that is infecting the group. Good if it's a good thing that is spreading like a contagion and like wildfire. And let me just be real with you. This is not where it ends it isn't even where it started. Started way back there with prayer in schools and started with evolution and, and abortion and all of this other stuff. And we were intimidated into a culture of silence because we didn't want anybody to think we were uneducated and not smart. But there are the Richard Dawkins out there, the Sam Harrises, the Lawrence Strausses, and the others that are not going to stop right there. These are the militant atheists, what they call the new atheists, that now openly ridicule anybody that teaches there is a God and make statements like God is the worst ogre that's ever existed if he did exist. God is despicable. That's what Richard Dawkins said. Words like that, the God I know is loving and kind and cared enough about us that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but ever everlasting life. And why am I pointing this out? All we have to do is be silent and one day we're going to wake up and wonder where did all of our liberties go. That's right. Amen. But on the other hand, just like one little old domino can tilt things in the wrong direction, one little domino can also tilt things in the right direction. And this is why we need to stand up as Americans. You don't have the luxury anymore of being a secret service kind of believer. Undercover. I'm a believer, but nobody knows it. It's time for you now to love, be open in your faith, be bold in your faith, not offensive in your faith, not judgmental in your faith, not hateful in your faith, but loving in your faith. Amen. 78% of Americans believe in God and subscribe to the Christian faith. Then, I'm telling you, if we had not been silent, we could have made things start going the other direction. And so what do we do now? Well, I'll tell you, there's always going to be a chasm between the church and the world. Can't change that. The world will be the world. The church will be the church. But as for me and my house, we are going to stand on the word of Almighty God. And this church will also stand for what is right in love. Amen. So what does that mean? People come here and, want, and are looking to see how they're treated. I hope and pray that regardless of what lifestyle anybody's in, they come in and feel loved by everybody. Amen. And I hope they walk out of there and say, that's the strangest church I've ever been to. Amen. I stand for everything they're opposed to, and yet they still love on me. That's what you have to do as a child of God. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. By this sign shall men know that you are my disciples and that you have love one toward another.